All right, welcome to the Score North Twin Show. I'm Jake DePew, joined by a very special guest today, MLB.com beat writer Doe Young Park. Doe, how's it going? Uh, Jake, you can't just invite me on a podcast and just call me very special like that. I think a lot of the friends that I knew dating back to the old, the old college days will tell you that's a slippery slope you got there. You can't you can't just prop me up like that because you'll just get me going. Well, I, I consider you a very special guest and a very special person, though, so uh, you're just going to have to live with my admiration. I appreciate that, Jake. Um, so my first question is this. You're, you and I have had a handful of, of conversations. You're obviously a very intelligent guy. You, you went to Stanford. Uh, you majored in, uh, what was it? Uh, mechanical engineering? It was uh, engineering of the chemical variety. Yes, yes. And now you are a baseball beat writer. So my question is, where did it all go wrong, though? That's the question that my mom asks me every time I go visit her in Korea for the holidays, funny enough. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think it, it's funny because even as recently as I want to say two and a half years ago, I don't think this career path even appeared to be on the table for me. Uh, I think I had some level of dissatisfaction or maybe not even dissatisfaction, but just uh, wanting more out of life kind of throughout the college experience where I was slogging through like 4 a.m. problem sets and office hours and uh, just differential equations on the board. And, you know, I was kind of curious where it was all going. And uh, fortunately for me, after hating writing uh, throughout pretty much my entire life until I got to college, I got to California. I'm a Minnesota kid, as I think a lot of uh, folks in the Twin Sphere know. Uh, you are one of us. I am, I am a hashtag one of us, which is great. Uh, I got to college and I was like, well, I'm like, couple thousand miles away from home I should probably do something that I wouldn't have done so I got into writing got into the school paper um, and by the end of it I just I just kind of took to it and by the end of my college experience it was more like I was majoring in the paper and minoring and actually playing school as the noted philosopher Cardale Jones would say uh, so yeah that's kind of where it happened and I applied for an internship didn't think I was going to get it I got it I asked my editor for a part-time job didn't think I was going to get it I got it and it just kind of escalated from there real quickly into this I never planned it out didn't think it would happen didn't plan for any of this I don't think you really can but grateful to be here on with uh with you, lovely Jake DePew, on this Florida <laughs> afternoon in Fort Myers. Well, I uh, I appreciate that, though. But I, I do want to ask about your upbringing. So you were born in South Korea, right. lived there until you were four. Is that correct? Yep. Um, and then moved to, did you move straight to Minnesota? Uh, yeah. My, okay, uh, my dad was doing a PhD at the University of Minnesota. He does MRI imaging research. Okay. Yeah. I also did a PhD at the University of Minnesota. So he and I will have to uh, meet up and talk about how great we both are. Yeah, you, you, you uh, my dad can tell you about how bad of an influence you've been on me <laughs> yes but uh when did you really develop your your love for baseball i know you said you you didn't know you were going to do this until maybe midway through college but growing up did you were you always a big baseball fan and and if so where did you get that from uh so my parents were huge baseball fans one of the stories that they really like to share about their baseball fandom uh which for me didn't actually blossom until somewhat later on in my life was that uh Back in Korea, my dad, the team that my dad has supported for his entire life has been the LG Twins. Uh, they're mm -hmm. based in uh, they're based in Seoul, and 
they, my mom tells me stories of when I was like one year old and I'm like, and they bring me in this like little baby carrier to the ballpark and you know, it's like noise and lights and all that. And uh, I'm just sleeping like a log through this, which people that know me these days will not be surprised by. Uh, but like the fans in the section around them apparently got like super into it where they're like miming like they're cheering, but they're not actually cheering. So you got this like one quiet section in the middle of it all because of little baby me. Uh, I don't have any awareness of this until like 2006. And funny, funny as it may sound, the way I got into baseball, because my parents didn't like take me to games at the Dome all that often growing up. I didn't make it out till uh, 07. Uh, I distinctly remember it because Booth Bonser started the game. It was game two of the season. Uh, yes. Yeah. He also started game two of the uh, ALDS. The that he did. Year. Yeah. about that earlier this offseason. Yes. Read me at MLB.com. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it, my, my parents bought us, like, the old-school Xbox, and uh, one of the games that we got, uh, we got, like, Madden 2K7, and we got MLB 2K7, and I remember, like, my brother, I have a brother that's, like, two and a half years younger than me, and we're, like, competitive in everything, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, like, going through all these teams being, like, all right, what team can I uh, use that'll screw with my brother the most? So I remember, like, settling in on the Colorado Rockies. That was a long homer. Yes, uh, <laughs> for, for listeners, Miguel Sano just hit a monster bomb in, uh, in BP here. And I was like, I was looking through all the home run totals and I was like, yo, these guys are dudes. And then I was looking at the raw, I was looking at the pitching staff and Byung-Hyun Kim, that was like one of his, like one of like few seasons in Colorado. Uh, And I was like, yo, this dude throws submarine and he's Korean. This is great. And so that game uh, where I used the uh, Colorado Rockies to beat my poor brother into submission was how I got into baseball, funny enough. And it just kind of blossomed from there with those uh, 06, 07, 08 Metrodome teams. And I also kind of became a proxy Colorado fan because of that game. Yeah, those were those were really interesting teams, fun teams, and uh, definitely a good era of Twins baseball to get into. If, if you would come of age in uh, you know 2011, 2012, you uh, you might be a beat writer for the for the Vikings right now. But um, so you you go to Stanford, you're majoring in mechanical engineering, and you decide you want to maybe change course or at least think about uh, going into to baseball writing. Right. Sure. Um, so talk about. Oh boy, I just used the, the talk, about, talk about. Oh boy. Um, uh, get it out of your system before we talk to Rocco later. Yes, exactly. Uh, so you interned with uh, the the college newspaper, is that right? And did you do play by play as well? Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I did a bunch of baseball play by play for Stanford baseball, and I also uh, did. I was also a analyst on our student radio station for Stanford football for one season. It was the uh, 2015 Rose Bowl over Iowa uh, season. Yes, I'm sure, yes. like. of Twins fandom like in the Iowa area will start to curse me under their breath right now but that was a fun year man. Christian McCaffrey won, uh, didn't win the Heisman, he should have, but yeah, broadcast experience to go with the writing experience I started out on uh, Stanford women's swimming and diving and it just kind of evolved into baseball and football from there and I really carried that through my career, it was just a really fun time I had a lot of good programs to write about out there And so you interned with the Twins uh, under Rhett Bollinger you experienced the curse of Bollinger Grandmaster Rhett. Yes, and that was 2015? 2016. 2016. It was the year of Byung-Ho Park. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. So we can talk about that in a second. But uh, Are we? <laughs> well, I mean, you do have the South Korea connection. Yeah, that's right? true. That's true. Um, 
what was that like, though? You know, first step, stepping foot into a, a major league clubhouse, and you know, were you intimidated? Uh, it was just what was that whole process like? Did Rhett help you out, or did he just sort of play pl- pranks on you throughout the season, uh, knowing Rhett? Um, but uh, how did that go, and, and and did that grow your interest in the game and, and wanting to be a writer? Yeah, it's funny you say that about Rhett because Rhett was actually a very good boss. I'm um, well, I think, I, I think it also like plays into who I am, where I've always been kind of a hands-off person and uh, I like to do my like do my thing and figure things out for myself and I think uh, Rhett's kind of style just like you know letting me uh, letting me find my footing and that sort of thing was great in that sense Um, as far as the internship goes you know the funny thing is it was it's a it's an incredible internship it's an extremely immersive internship Uh, for those that aren't familiar with what the MLB internship was it's uh, you're essentially a second beat writer on the team so when Rhett wants so there's sometimes Rhett and I would double up on the games where one of us would write the game story and one of us would write the post game notebook Uh, there were some games where Rhett was just off so I'd solo the team at home uh, when I would I would not travel on the road so Rhett would solo the road games and that sort of thing but it was a very nice relationship that we had there I was actually never formally trained as a journalist Um, Stanford doesn't have um, like a rigorous undergraduate journalism curriculum it's all kind of folded into the communications department actually that obviously wasn't my major so everything I did I kind of had to pick up along the way and nobody had really there, there there aren't really many Stanford journalists in the sports field from like my era like longer ago we have like Susan Slusser the queen of yes. the queen of the Oakland beat um, she is the best she is incredible uh, but nobody that I could really kind of lean on so I just kind of had to figure it out you know and fortunately for me and uh, a lot of folks have probably heard this, you know, from Aaron Gleeman and others that have also hopped onto the beat recently. I was just blessed to have people like Rhett and uh, Lavelli, Neil, Phil Miller. Uh, Dan Hayes wasn't back here. That wasn't here back then, but he is now. Just really salt of the earth people that aren't territorial about their work and are just willing to stick their neck out and help out the kid that walks into the clubhouse and even last year as a as not an intern but a full-time beat writer you just learn so much from watching i I, i'm the kind of person where i don't assert myself or like talk or make myself felt until i feel like i know how the vibe is here and where i fit into this so just being able to watch lavelle work being able to watch phil work uh being able to see where rep was going who he was talking to at what time there was obviously that transition period of a month where i'm like trying not to make anybody angry i'm trying not to like stick out uh but i've taken in all that information and fortunately i learned from some of the best around here and it was a pretty smooth transition after that yeah and just a quick red story so the first game i ever covered was in 2016 at, at fenway park so i live in boston and um so I, I was covering the twin series in 2016 for what was then 1500 espn and Derek Wetmore basically said get in touch with Rhett and just follow him around and because if you don't if you've never done it before there's a whole protocol right when you're in the clubhouse where you can stand or you know who you should when you can approach players um and i just had no idea what to do and, and red really took me through and uh showed me exactly what I need to be doing and, and how I should behave in a clubhouse and when it's okay to, to talk to players and uh, so I, I have similar experiences with him. Uh, he, he's, he's a great guy. Uh, but he did curse the Twins and so we're all glad he's he's gone. He, uh, uh, not only did he curse the Twins, he is actively cursing the Twins. Yes. Uh, I think what a lot of people don't appreciate is that the Twins were doing just great last season and then for the playoff run, they like to double up and they like to help the staffers with some extra help on their beats and Rhett knows the team so they're 
were like, all right, Rhett's going to be your help, like, uh, on the on the ALDS against the Yankees. And, of course, Rhett shows up and the 101-win team suddenly forgets how to hit. And, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say that Rhett had something to do with it, but all I'm saying is that he was in that pregame press conference before game one, and Tyler Duffy and Taylor Rogers did see him there, so they knew yeah. he was, you know, it's it's just those little things. It, there, there, too many things have happened to think it's just a coincidence. It's clearly Rhett actively, uh, you know, trying to bring down the organization, and so I think he owes really all of Minnesota an apology. It's so, a long, long, long con. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, all right, I want to move on to talking about this year's team. So, We're actually, going to talk about baseball at some point. Well, if you want, we can talk about whatever you want. This on me. So, obviously, uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with uh, the team and how they did last year. But where do you see this team going into 2020? Do you think they have a chance to to repeat their success of last year and? and obviously make a little bit more of a playoff run. Uh, Just uh, what's your assessment uh, with about a month to go before opening day? So obviously my sample size and historical context of this, from the media side at least, is rather small. But uh, based on uh, comparing a year ago to now, uh, camp just feels different. There's a different buzz here, as cliche as it kind of sounds, where we've had national media filtering in from from day one. We've had like Tim Kirchin and Peter Gammons roll through. Uh, Ken Rosenthal's already popped in, I think, once or twice. Uh, Stephanie Epstein from Sports Illustrated has been hanging around the last two days. Uh, there's a buzz about this team because it's a very nationally relevant team. They know it, uh, and the front office knew it, where most of the pieces from last year's team are back. All the foundational pieces really are back. They've added Josh Donaldson to that. They've really built out a lot of that pitching depth. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very nationally relevant story, and you know, it's something that I think Twins fans might not have been used to, especially in the recent history of this team, where this front office has made it abundantly clear with their words and with their actions that they are going for it. They traded away Bruce Dargratterall. Uh, they traded away a homegrown kid that can throw a 102-mile-an-hour bowling ball sinker uh, with the with the goal of getting Kenta Maeda here, who is somebody they think they can that can impact a playoff rotation and is kind of the depth piece they need. Uh, I'm not gonna, it's it's not good to call him a depth piece. He's like a solid mid to high upper rotation piece uh, that's been part of playoff runs, and that's something that they valued. And not only that, but players are out here saying World Series, World Series, World Series. Yeah. Like, yeah, Miguel Sano telling me earlier in camp, you know, all the Bomba Squad stuff was great, uh, but we got our record. Uh, we don't care about that anymore. Nobody's going to break that record. Uh, it's going to be hard to break that record. We only care about a World Series. Eddie Rosario said the same thing. It's mm-hmm. not like it was in 2015 or 2017. This year, like, our goal is World Series, period. And uh, just the vibe, the expectation, the outward confidence is just so clear. And, you know, why not? Uh it's the it's a very comfortable clubhouse. Like I said, all the pieces are back. Rocco Baldelli's back. Front office is obviously forward thinking, and I think have not only earned the benefit of the doubt, but have shown clearly that they have a vision and a direction for this team that they're executing. It's a very exciting time to be around this organization right now. Not to sound like I'm drinking the Kool Aid or anything like that, but just based on the offseason actions, based on the composition of this roster, what is there not to like? I yes, I completely agree. I think they're clearly. AL Central favorites and and arguably the second best team in the American League um, and with Severino going down uh, and some of the injury issues that the Yankees have already had they you it wouldn't be a stretch to call them potentially favorites in the American League which is crazy I think uh, it might be kind of a stretch maybe, to call maybe them. we can a, talk about that yeah maybe it's a little bit of a stretch but 
I want to talk about the difference between this year and last year. You're a guy who is obviously in the clubhouse pretty much every day. Uh, do you feel like the vibe is di- so? I mean, last year they were having so much success, but was it more of kind of a "we're happy to be here" type of vibe last year? Whereas this year, like you said, they're they're really thinking World Series. Or do you feel like uh, it's it's just pretty similar to the the, the feel of 2019? Well, I don't think it was ever a happy to be here kind of vibe because I can say that these dudes were confident from day one last year. I don't think they ever shied away from the uh, challenge or the perceived external expectations of what the American League Central race was projected to look like, especially with the context of uh, what Cleveland was expected to be, which is frankly what they were. And the Twins were just better than that. I don't think there's ever any question of that, but I think the difference this year is uh, none of them really knew what to expect when they hit New York last year for that division series. The uh, insults being hurled down from the stands, the buzz from pitch one to pitch 300 of the game, uh, just the added pressure of like 60 media members and everybody being there, you know, all the the elevated stage. Um, And now they kind of are going in with a chip on their shoulder because they believe that they were an elite team last year and they didn't put their best foot forward and that kind of stings uh, when you're a 101 team getting dumped so unceremoniously in the postseason like that. So now they know what to expect. Um, The confidence is still the same as last year, but I think they're a little hungrier to kind of buck that this year and actually say, all right, this is our time and we're kind of sick of hearing about the Yankees and the Astros. We're right up there with them. As you were saying, like the perception is kind of shifting in the Twins' direction. I don't know if they're AL favorites, but they certainly have a case to do that, and they know that. It's interesting that you're talking about the big stage in New York and and how they seem to be intimidated. That it, I, That's how I felt, too, and some of the quotes coming out of the clubhouse, I think, suggested that. I remember Tyler Duffy talking about just having insults hurled at him in the, in the bullpen throughout the game, and he obviously struggled in that series after having a, a fantastic regular season. But um, So you think there is some truth to that, that, that they were a little bit overwhelmed? and, and Because they, they were in that environment two years ago, right? A lot of their core players, you know, Kepler, Rosario, uh, Polanco, etc., were in that wild card game in 2017, but you still feel like there was a little bit of an intimidation factor in that series last year. I don't know. I'm always going to hesitate to use the word to use words like intimidated or overwhelmed because it is a very level-headed group of dudes in there. Um, like so much has been made of like you know the Twins went into Game Two started Randy Dodnack. Randy is the the last guy, literally like one of the last guys in the clubhouse. I'm worried about in terms of that factor. Same with you know some of the guys that you mentioned in there. Um, I don't think it was an intimidation or an overwhelming so much as it's just different. Mm. Um, I don't know if it was the environment or anything like that, but it's just a different pressure, different level of expectations, different game planning, uh, different game, different pace, different protocol for everything, pre-game, post-game, and I just don't think it's something that you can ever really get accustomed to until you are there. It's kind of that, you know, it's kind of that first taste of the playoffs sort of deal. Uh, they get a sense of what they're playing for. They get a sense of how that is. You know, these dudes are creatures of habit. Yes. Um, there's, they're doing the same thing for not just 162 games every year, but however many days they're, like, 45 days they're down here in uh, in Fort Myers and it's a big change and it's a lot of pressure and I'm not going to say they shied away from that or they kind of backed down from that because I really don't feel like they did at any point um, over the course of that three game series at Yankee Stadium and Target Field but um, it's that they have a better idea of what to expect and how to deal with all of that as they go into this season and obviously bringing in guys like 
Rich Hill and Kenta Maeda, uh, even Jolie Chassin, if he can make the team. He's been there before. Uh, Tyler Clifford, he's been there before. That's and obviously Josh Donaldson has played in the postseason, I think, what, each of the last seven seasons or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think that is also a, a very underappreciated aspect of what the front office brought to this clubhouse this offseason. So you mentioned it's a very laid-back clubhouse, and you know I only cover a dozen or so games a year, and, and you have a much better idea of this than I do, but I get the same sense, um, especially last year, that it was it was very laid-back. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, and Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Planning to buy a new boat this year? Glenn Perkins here for my friends at Nelson Marine. The Nelson Marine difference is about customer service and a knowledgeable team of sales and service pros. Two large showrooms filled with an impressive inventory of the best brands in the business. London Crestliner Fishing Boats, South Bay Pontoons, powered by Yamaha, Suzuki, Mercury, and Evinrude. Nelson Marine has been creating happy customers for 75 years. Visit their showroom on Highway 61 in White Bear Lake online at nelsonmarine.biz. How much does Baldelli play into that? Because he is a very forward-thinking manager, but also very laid back, and he's all about rest and, and rehab and um, the whole LFG. Wait, uh, LAF. LAF, thank you, LAF, which we can't say on the air, but uh, you can Google LAF twins. Um, but it, it's definitely a culture uh, that's different than what I think you would typically see in a traditional baseball clubhouse, right, that it, that it is much more laid back. Um, how much of that is Baldelli in? in your mind sort of setting the tone yeah part of it I think is just where the game is trending as a whole these days with kind of the more advanced knowledge of the rest and recovery elements of it and um, you know there's team psychologists and consultants and things like that that kind of you know, a, a lot of teams have a better sense of how to operate this as a workplace, I guess, and kind of the expectations that should come with that. I do think um, that Rocco deserves a lot of the credit for it, obviously. I think it's just an organizational top-down thing of not just Rocco, who's obviously ingrained this into his personality and vocally made it a priority for his guys. Also, Derek Valvey. Also, Thad Levine. Also, I mean, like, Derek Shelton, the bench coach before he left. Uh, same thing with Mike Bell now. Uh, all the different coaches he's got in that room. I think it's just a combination of all of those different things, and you know, they call themselves partners up there uh, when they make the decisions, Derek, Thad, and Rocco. Uh, they don't do anything without kind of talking to each other. They debrief with each other every day. Um, but, but is that yeah. just corporate speak? Or do you think that really is? No, I, I, I do think they're, I, I've seen myself, like, you know, they congregate in the in the clubhouse, after, in Matt Rocco's office post-game uh, to, to, like, talk about all these things. And, no, I mean, the way they handle everything and the way all of them talk about everything, I have no reason to believe that's really not the case. And so, yeah, I think Rocco does have a lot to do with that. I think um, his career path, um, the philosophies he's learned in Kevin Cash's organization with the Tampa Bay Rays down there, um, and just kind of the like-mindedness of the ways he thinks about these things with uh, with Derek and Thad, and also the various different personnel that they've brought in, um, on the, whether psychologists, whether nutrition, whether rest, whether strength and conditioning. Um, I think it's a more advanced and nuanced understanding of the off-field factors, whether psychological, nutritional, uh, whatever otherwise, 
um, that might not have been as appreciated years ago that are more so now. And I think it's just a question of like the understanding of the game and of these guys' lifestyles broadening and kind of baseball, not just the on-field product, but the industry as a whole kind of moving into that next generation of how can we really get the most efficiency out of these dudes. Yeah, and you were here in 2016, which was obviously an absolute disaster of a season, and, and that was kind of the, the last year of the, the old-school Twins way, right? I mean, you know, that was the last year of um, Terry Ryan in the front office, and uh, they really revamped the entire organization bringing in Fabian Levine but uh, you had a great piece on MLB.com yesterday I believe about Eddie Rosario and we're actually watching him take batting practice right now Uh, he talked in that piece about wanting to get on base more and that's always been the big criticism with Eddie is that he is over aggressive at the plate that he doesn't draw any walks and it seemed like in your piece he he was really sort of acknowledging that so um, what did you get from that conversation do you feel like he really means that when he says that or is that just something that uh, you know, maybe he's saying in spring training and we'll go away once the season actually starts. You know, I think he means it. I, I, I really do. I think he acknowledges that it's a shortcoming of his game and it's something that he can take the next step in. As to the actual actionability of it, I will, you know, believe it when I see it. It's one of those things where, you know, he's been Eddie Rosario for five years now. I mean, uh, we kind of know who Eddie Rosario is as a player and I don't think his profile has really shifted all too much in that time. Like, you know what you're going to get with the guy. You're going to get a 280 ish batting average a 300 to 310 ish on base percentage like a high 400s low 500 slug he's gonna hit like 28 ish homer you know like that's what he's been Mm -hmm. um and i also i think there's something to be said for that's also a player that has provided value to the twins maybe not as much value as he definitely not as much value as he would provide if he were to get on base more but it's there's also something to be said for it's hard to shake those habits so i i didn't get a chance to ask him in more detail kind of what he's doing in that sense and I you know the the plate at bat the plate appearances and at bats I've seen this spring haven't to at least my spring training eye as I also ramp up for the season note been noticeably all that different mm-hmm. from what I've seen during him in the season but also just kind of the acknowledgement of that I don't know if we've seen the acknowledgement of that at least out in the public of, yes. of like yeah I right. don't I think That's this right. is a shortcoming in my game and I want to improve this maybe some of it has to do with the fact that he's a free agent in two years you know he's maybe some of that has to do with the fact that he wants an extension to stay in Minnesota and this would be kind of the year to get that done before he enters his walk here next year. You know, there's a lot of different factors that could play into that, um, but I'm also inclined to give the guy the benefit of the doubt because, you know, he's a guy that clearly likes it here. He clearly is invested in this World Series push. He wants to be part. He, he loved playing in the playoffs he, last year. He obviously wants to be yeah. back there, and I, I, I'm sure every one of these guys went home last October after they got swept out of the postseason and did some soul-searching and were like, what could I have done differently? What different part could I have played in this and if that resulted in Eddie Rosario having like a come to Jesus moment saying you know this is what I need to do I think that's for the better and again I'll it's one of those things where I'll I'll believe it when I see it in actual gameplay but I think it was pretty cool that he did acknowledge that absolutely and just talking about the playoffs Rosario is definitely a guy who loves the big stage and uh, he he had a two-run home run in the first inning of that 2017 wildcard game and had a, a hit a home run in game three of the ALDS he's definitely a guy that stepped up and in the postseason. Um, I think one of the big question marks heading into the season is Byron Buxton. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his health and whether he can stay healthy. And so I guess 
this. I have a two-part question for you. One, where is he at physically right now, and do you expect him to be ready for opening day? And two, what steps are the Twins taking to, to try to keep him healthy, and do you feel like Buxton is open to whatever dialogue is going on uh, between you know the, the team and him? I have no reason to believe, based on what I've heard and what I've seen down here, that Buxton won't be ready for opening day. Um, he was in live batting. Pre- I saw him in live batting practice uh, before the game started not swinging but uh he was at least standing in there kind of getting it getting his timing um before before i expected to see him there i saw him yesterday uh taking actual thrown batting practice i saw him taking soft toss earlier this spring uh not an actual bp session but tory was throwing him an actual bp session he looked the swings look good the contact looked good the timing looked good um i don't think the twins expect to see him in game for another you know week and a half two weeks or so i think uh the initial timeline that rocco put out when we got here was mid March for games uh, but it, the Twins have been very clear about the fact that they don't care about ramping Buxton up for spring games they just want him to be ready for opening day and that's been the goal since uh, he really underwent that surgery last September um, and I think I think he's on track you know that it, it all looks healthy he's obviously got it he looks like he's got his full mobility he's been full participant in all these uh, defensive drills out there uh, so I think he's tracking well and the other half of your question speaking to kind of the preventative measures you know i i don't i don't think he, he or the twins will ever come out and say this but um i wonder if like you know i was talking about after the you know kind of after the uh postseason last year obviously buxton wasn't a part of that guys going back and you know I, I can't imagine they weren't thinking like you know what can i do differently to be a better part of this to be a better part of this for the team and you know like the dan over at the athletic has written a lot about how the twins have kind of and rocco's talked about how the twins have kind of moved buxton back you know kind of the uh the older philosophy was kind of, you know, play, play shallow, don't let anything fall in front of you, right? And that's kind of uh, changing into, you know, protect the gaps, don't let guys get extra bases, prevent slug instead of prevent batting average. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's an organizational thing and just like a baseball industry-wide thing of being more accept, accepting of that and also internalizing the Buxton. Like, you know, all, a lot of these balls coming in, you're going to be able to get jumps on them and your speed's going to let you get to them. Um, and it's going to make a difference when you're not hitting, when you're hitting these walls at like 60, 70% as opposed to 100%. And I think there's, you know, Buxton has the, I, I, and this is something that I talk about a lot and I think about a lot. I have never really bought into the idea of the injury prone tag for players when it's like not injuries that are like soft tissue injuries, like perennial strains or sprain, you know, that's like the, the strains, the pulls, that sort of thing. You know, with him, like it's been a lot of the weird stuff, like the broken toe the migraines, uh, the kind of hitting the ground on a dive, uh, the hitting the walls on on these uh, on these catches at the wall. And I think there is uh, something to be said for, yeah, I mean, he can probably scale back the level of his plan. I think uh, the level of his, like, gung-ho-ness to kind of mitigate those circumstances uh, where, and I think that especially now that he's lost a postseason run, I think he's probably more, accept- he's probably more willing to kind of uh, take that into consideration consideration too but I also don't see him as like a Troy Chulowitzki type where he's like pulling something or you know doing something like that or tweaking something 
uh, based on his on-field actions, uh, based on just like the quality of his movement and that sort of thing. So I kind of draw a fundamental line there. And I understand that Twins fans aren't inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt. But when I look at him, I also see a dude that has gotten rather unlucky in a lot of aspects. Um, and I know a lot of Twins fans won't be uh, won't be happy to hear me say that, but oh, I, I, am, I am buying Byron Buxton this year. I really am. I think he's very motivated. And I think, um, you know, much like Eddie Rosario, he understands, you know, that the Twins need it. And I think he didn't enjoy sitting around and watching his teammates compete in the postseason last year. And that's something he'll take with him into this year. Absolutely. And I agree with you about Buxton. I think he's had a lot of fluke injuries. Like you, you mentioned, the toe and, and, and the wrist. I do think he has had concussions. Um, I He had one last year when yeah. he came in on that ball in Cleveland and, and got, you know, his head bounced off the, the turf and he had to go on the concussion IL. Um, and so I, and I do want this is total speculation, but I do wonder if um, his migraines are maybe uh, a result of that. And he played football in high school. And, right. um, but, but, you know, that's speculation. Uh, but obviously keeping Buxton healthy is, is a huge priority for the team. And it, there's no perfect answer. I actually wrote about this in a piece today because, you know, when you if, if you play him deeper so that he doesn't hit the, the walls hard, well, the result of that last year, it, it sort of backfired because he was running in on that ball in Cleveland and dove and, and hit his head like we were just talking about. And if he had been playing shallower, he probably would have caught, caught that on the fly. I think that's so, a dangerous what-if to get into, though, right? There's, yeah. a, there's a converse what-if for a lot of situations like that. Right, but my point is just that there's no perfect yeah, solution. Yeah, that's right. right. There's no perfect answer. Um, and, and I do think, it, 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 and it's tough with him too, because part of what makes him such a great player and a great defender is his fearlessness. And if you ask him to, to uh, you know, rein that in a little bit, then he doesn't have, he suddenly doesn't have the range uh, that, that maybe he did a couple of years ago, and he's not that platinum glove defender. And so it's just a tough it's a delicate dance, I guess, with him to, to keep him healthy and allow him to be the, the player that he wants to be and the Twins want him to be. Well, the thing is, 85 to 90% range Byron Buxton is still yes. a gold glove defender yes. is the thing. And yep. um, I, the one thing I wonder if he internalizes is the idea of his added value to this team based on where this team is projected to be this year as opposed to in years past. Like, he, he adds so much. A healthy Byron Buxton makes, in my mind, a much more meaningful, like, marginal addition to the top of this roster than he would have for, like, a bad team in 2016 or that sort of thing. And it's like a situational importance sort of deal where right. it is important for the Twins and for Byron Buxton to have him healthy there more so than ever before in this moment right now. And so um, I'm sure that's not lost on the uh, powers that be, whether in the front office or the manager's office. And, um, you know, again, like, Byron is not gonna he's not gonna like go out and like tell us his full mindset i think that's something we'll have to kind of get into march games uh, april games to see how this plays out on the field it's all just speculation until then like you said but uh that's something i'm obviously everybody's obviously keeping a close eye on um when camp breaks and we head north i want to ask you about josh donaldson obviously the the, the big acquisition uh this offseason so the as we were talking about, the Twins clubhouse is very laid back. Uh, Nelson Cruz is, I, I think, undoubtedly the, the leader of that clubhouse, or at least he was last year, and it, he's an extremely laid back guy, kind of lead by example type mm-hmm. of guy. Donaldson is not that, right? He's uh, much more high energy. Um, I don't think it's like an in-your-face, yelling at you type of guy, but definitely... 
has a lot has a lot more uh, kind of fire to him, uh, outward fire to him than somebody like Cruz does. How do you how have you seen him uh, fitting in in the clubhouse th- through the first couple of weeks of spring training? Uh, I think this is everybody saw it on Twitter when he for the day he first got in, right? Right. Like he shows up, he like sets his stuff down, and we're like walking out of the clubhouse. It's 2 p.m., 3 p.m., something like that. Most of the regulars have long since left. You know, like a lot of the guys under uh, under the. Baldelli administration are out of here like 11 noon, 1 o'clock. You know, don't stick around. It's a lot of like the uh, the minor leaguers and the guy actually guys actually competing for roster spots that are around here doing the extra work and that sort of thing. And uh, what do you know? I look over into the cage and Josh Donaldson is right there with like every prospect that matters to this organization that like matters to this organization's like immediate future. Like uh, like Alex Carroll. Uh, yeah, I think Alex Carroll off is there. Royce Lewis was there. Ryan Jeffers was definitely there. Uh, Travis Blankenhorn was there and he is just holding court with these guys and like I'm seeing him like taking the bat like showing him like how he uses his hands how he keeps his hands in how he sets up his swing path how he times his swing he's talking to these dudes and they're just eating it up like Blankenhorn is asking questions Jack Reinheimer is grabbing a bat and he's like trying to follow along with uh with what with what Donaldson is doing and when he first sat down in front of us in the basement of Target Field uh, in the basement of Target Field, and he said, I want to impact this organization uh, from top to bottom, not just the major league team, but everybody. Uh, and, you know, it's easy for the $92 million guy to come in and say that and, sure. you know, look good in front of your agent, in front of, you know, the whole Twins family that's gathered there. It's another thing to show up and day one just go in and be like, bam, I'm going to put my I'm going to put my actions behind the words I'm going to support this and that wasn't a one time thing either he wasn't just doing it for the cameras he's out there like every other day doing that sort of thing like uh, yesterday he was in the cage uh, hitting off a tee and Drew Maggie walks in uh, Drew Maggie kind of like a depth infield uh, guy probably started triple A this year and uh, Drew Maggie walks in and, they, and he like started he was hitting he stops hitting and he like starts talking and roping Drew Maggie into what he's doing it's just really really neat and you know different guys respond to different styles of leadership in different ways. And I think that's something that Rocco is very aware of. You got different voices in this clubhouse. Like you said, Nelson Cruz, more of a passive guy. If that's your thing, if you're like, all right, fine, um, I just need to follow somebody who leads by example, who will answer my questions when I have them, but kind of let me do my own thing, that's great. You got your Nelson Cruz. If if you want that hands-on coaching, if you are like a Mitch Garver type who loves to talk everything through and geek out 24-7 about baseball, that's your Josh Donaldson. And then even on the pitching side, you got Rich Hill, Tyler Clifford, uh, more unassuming personalities, uh, very friendly dudes. Uh, they will talk to you, but uh, they also do their own thing at times. Whereas Sergio Romo is bouncing around everywhere, and he'll be in your face, and he'll give you that energy. Uh, I think there is, uh, it's kind of a pick your, choose your adventure right. for the Twins Clubhouse. Right. There's right. something for everybody in there. Yeah, and and that's and I've heard from from other writers as well that that Donaldson has been a really positive influence, and um, and I think that's exactly right. If you, if you want to be more of a Nelson Cruz type, you can be. If you want to be more uh, of the Donaldson, you know, high energy all the time, then you can be. And and there's just there's room for everybody in the clubhouse, and I think that's a really interesting and unique dynamic of this team, um, especially compared to you know like 2018 in particular. I know you weren't here for 2018, but uh, I covered you know that team a little bit, and and boy you would walk into the clubhouse and and the vibe was very different it was uh just a lot of sort of nervous energy and it seemed like and i I, i'm not reporting this but it seemed like there was just there was just a lot of friction between players and you just don't get that sense at all with uh with this group so um 
I do, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the big talker this offseason, which is, of course, the Astros. Um, Two-part question, I guess. First, how bad, in your opinion, is this for baseball? Uh, And then secondly, Marvin Gonzalez is obviously a a part of that team, a big part of that team, and he's what the Twins now. And how do you feel like he's been received uh, in the Twins clubhouse? So, it's it, the first part of your question. That's it's interesting. I mean, I've juggled this a lot, and I've had some conversations about it. Even um, where it's obviously bad for the on-field product. Um, it's obviously bad for the integrity of the game. For as far as a distraction goes from kind of the level of competition that's going to be going on between the elite teams of the sport. Um, anytime game results, especially championship results. Um, personal it, it can come into question not just that but the number of livelihoods that this is affecting yes. whether the lawsuits that are coming out of this and I'm sure we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg of that but you know the the one and done guys that came up got shelled once left or uh, Rich Hill was quick to point out you know it's when you get to when you get into the playoffs things like that not it's not just the players it's the guys behind the scenes it's the clubbies it's the uh, it's the attendants it's the chefs it's the trainers, it's those people that you don't think about with the playoff shares, with right, the it's story, life-changing that's money thing. For those it guys. is, yeah. is life changing money yeah. for a lot of these guys. Um, and that's there, there's a lot of wide reaching impact that's difficult to quantify. And so, yeah, the, 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 the effect on the on field product is one thing, but you know, we've had we've had steroids in the past, we've had the Black Sox scandal in the past, uh, we've had you know, Pete Rose betting on the you know, you know, I, I felt so I have thoughts about that too but uh, you have to have Pete Rose betting on it's not the on-field product being called into question in this way isn't new in a sense uh, but the level to which one group of people asymmetrically impacted the other people um, in this way I think is kind is definitely not good for the people in the clubhouses Uh the other side of that, though, is as far as marketing, mm-hmm. as far as mm-hmm. the publicity and the popularity, which is something that Major League Baseball is still trying to, I think, get a hold of. This is, I'm not going to say it's good, but baseball has been in the news. Yep, all offseason. All offseason. Yep, all offseason. Not yep. just front office stuff. Not just, like, not just free agency stuff. Not just trade rumors. Which uh, was also much... Which is, yeah, it, it was also it was a, real, a lot more action busier offseason. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, but now you've got this in the news, and not just that, but in kind of almost an unprecedented way. Um, individual player personalities yep. in comments and takes, and I hate the take driven environment of what sports discourse has become yes. this day as much as I think a lot of other people do at the same time so you don't em- embrace debate <laughs> I, I, I embrace in- I embrace intelligent debate yes. I'll, yes. I'll leave it at that okay. but it's, it's not the it, you know you have players showing their personalities and you have players um making stronger statements for better or worse it's a kind of a crummy reason for it to have to come out like this but it's also an, not the worst thing for like the popularity and the publicity of the game to have a villain to have a storyline to have player versus player to have team versus team storylines like that emerge and i'm not saying any of this is good but if there is kind of um 
a holistic picture to look at. That's what I'm thinking. Um, and okay, and then the second part of your question about specifically this clubhouse. This is a very unique clubhouse because mm. you have four guys that were on the teams that were arguably yes. most directly impacted. Um, right. uh, obviously, Marwin Gonzalez, uh, Tyler Clippard was a member of that 2017 mm-hmm. Astros team. He wasn't on the postseason roster. He was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously on the other side of that, you've got Rich Hill and now Kent Maeda. Uh, credit to the Twins and credit to Marwin Gonzalez. He was the first position player on that squad to come out and say, I am remorseful. I feel bad. I feel really bad for how it affected especially other players, the kind of players that we were talking about, the players and the people within the game. He said, uh, I wish we could go back and change it, but there's really nothing you can do. And I know it can seem kind of unsatisfying to people where you're just like, well, okay. Um, But at the same time, what else? I mean, it's it's what he could do at that point. Yes. You you go out, you apologize, you wear it, you answer the questions. Um, And to his immense credit, he did that. Um, And he was the first one to do that and it kind of started the uh, the chain of that, and he was clear about the fact that he's going to talk with Rich Hill about this. He's going to talk to Kent Maeda about this, and uh, at least outwardly, they have all said, "Okay, this is a di- we're not going to let this be a distraction because again, we're here to win a World Series. That is in the past, and we are focused on trying to win a World Series now in 2020 with this team. Um, I'm not privy to what those conversations are like. I would be shocked if the details ever trickled out of that clubhouse, but I haven't I personally haven't seen anything in there yet to lead me to believe that it'll be a problem or a distraction for this team right now. And um, I don't know how long this uh, kind of media cycle is going to exist, and I don't know what else is going to feed the media cycle in the coming weeks or months, but at least right now, this team um, seems to have good head on its shoulders. Yeah. And I totally agree with you about the marketing aspect. If, if you subscribe to the phrase, all publicity is good publicity, right? I mean, baseball has been in the news all offseason. It started with Garrett Cole and, and Strasburg signing early in the offseason and a very robust free agent market, which we didn't see at all the last two offseasons. And this Astros thing, is it's bad for the game in a lot of ways, but it does have people talking about baseball in December, January, February. And, and that is a good thing for the sport and something the sport really needs as it struggles to capture young fans. Fans, right, because I mean, there's no question the sport is losing millennials and Gen Z to to basketball and football. So may, if this brings some of them in and, and gets them at least interested in the sport, uh, then then maybe some good can come out of it. Right, at least it's like some sort of silver lining to take away from an altogether crummy situation. Otherwise, and hopefully, like you know, this personality is coming through, and like you know, some not not like a t- player versus player, team versus team thing, but if you can have like more fun things like that, or just like players more less afraid to show uh, where their personality yep. on their sleeves and that sort of yep. thing and kind of bring that into the and have more of a presence in that sphere um, hopefully for better reasons next year yeah and that's something that baseball really struggles with and that's a problem and something that MLB needs to to address but well I do think they're leaning into it now. they really are with the uh, yeah. with the kids play stuff from the last yeah. post seasons there and especially the uh, the marketing of the young stars like I think you know it's not Mike Trout but Bryce Harper is I think at that level or he's yeah. getting there yeah. uh, Bryce Harper is a huge personality I think Aaron 
Aaron Judge being who he is in the market that he uh, that he is in helps a ton. And they're also really leaning into the young guys like Juan Soto and uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Not just stars in big markets, but also stars that can continue to expand the international reach um, to regions of the world where they are extraordinarily passionate about it. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the goal with all this, right? With the London game, with uh, the uh, Tokyo game, and that sort of deal to continue to make it a more global sport on the uh, on the realm of soccer um, and, ba- and, and, and basketball almost in the, in the way that I don't think the NFL will ever be outside of America, right? You know, so um, I think uh, that to, to their credit, there is a, I think there is momentum in that direction. And I also think um, the culture of the game is evolving where that is much less of an issue among teammates, among clubhouses, that sort of thing now for a Ronald Acuna Jr. to come up or a Juan Soto at age 21 mm-hmm. to be this guy to wear his personality on his sleeve to carry his bat to first base, that sort of thing. Well, right, and if you think about how far that, just showing emotion on the field. Even just in the last five years. Well, that's, yeah. what, that's what I was going to say. If you remember the Jose Batista home run against Texas. I think in that game kind of started of the, all this. Yeah, yeah. Was that 2015, I believe, ALDS? That was seen as this huge controversy, right, that he flipped his bat after he hit a home run, and, and like now you have, like you said, you have guys carrying their bat all the way to first base and showing a lot more motion and, it, you know, if he had done that in 2019, it wouldn't have been a big deal, right? And so that does show the evolution of, of the game in, in, in that sense, but I want to leave you with this. You are someone who's more connected to the team, arguably, than, than anybody else in the media. Where, what, you don't have to give a win total, but what's your kind of overall prediction of where this season is going to go uh, right now on, on February 28th? Uh, do you want a win total for well, me? I want a win total If you're willing to go on the record, I would love to, I would love to, to have it, yes. Um, I don't... I, I don't know why people are so hesitant for that sort of thing. Um, you know, I think 98 is a solid benchmark. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go out and predict and predict 100. I think it's almost on the level of hubris to predict 100 wins for any team that's uh, not the Yankees or the Dodgers in the game right now. But I see a 101 win team from last year. Um, I see Josh Donald, literally Josh Donaldson in the clubhouse now. I see Rich Hill and Kenta Maeda down there. They have addressed everything. They, they have addressed everything they could this offseason without landing a frontline starter as they had originally hoped in the best way possible. And as, as we were kind of talking about with these soft elements too, uh, not just the rest and recovery, which is something that a lot of the guys down there are talking about a lot with me these days. They are super in on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, the clubhouse leadership elements and the postseason experience elements, it really feels like they've left no stone unturned. Um, I'm not going to go all out on the level of last year because um, obviously Chicago has improved. Um, I, I still don't buy them as like a 10 games over 500 kind of team. I'm yeah. going to, you know, I think um, with where guys like Heichel and Gio Gonzalez are in the right. career path trajectories and that sort of thing, and that pitching, I'll believe it when I see it. And the on base ability is just not, that's just not a thing that they coach. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll buy the White Sox when I see them, and Cleveland is going to be good. Um, it's a question of how good, but that pitching staff is going to anchor them no matter what. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's like one thing if they're like starting Delano to Shields in the center field on opening day. But <laughs> I, uh, I I do like, I do really like this Twins team as it's constructed. It is February 20th. There's still so much time left to go before opening day happens. But everybody in that clubhouse that's projected to be on the 26-man roster is aware they just got to stay healthy. They see Chris Sale going down. 
they see uh, they see uh, Luis Severina going down. They're like, that cannot be us. Uh, because Clevin- and, yeah, and even Mike yeah. Levenger yeah. and like Emmanuel Clause now in mm-hmm. Cleveland, uh, Jake Odorizzi is saying like, you know, we see that and with all the hype and all the momentum that this team has right now, we just can't let something like that sap some of this momentum away, sap some of this belief away. So I think everybody in there is aware of just do what you need to do. Get on the field, get off the field, go home, get your rest, get ready for March 26th. And I think that's where they're all at. And, um, even if they can weather one or two injuries, but we'll, we'll not talk about that. Let's hopefully not cross that bridge when we get there and not even get there. So 98, 98. All right. 98 and uh, a potential run of the World Series, I assume. Right? Uh, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> pretend. And I'm not let, gonna let get me to put those words in your mouth for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna see that's gonna be in the tweet, isn't it? <laughs> when you when you tweet this. No, out. no, no, no. Um, all right, well, a lot of optimism from uh, from Doe Young Park. So, where if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you're already following Doe. But in case you're not, where can uh, where can Twins fans follow you? Um, I'm on Twitter at Doe Young Park. D O H Y O U N G P A R K. I tried to get the handle D H P, but the guy that has the handle D H P is a White Sox fan and would not ah. give it to me. Uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me and obviously uh if you have the app bat on at bat app on your phone uh most of the content on there most of the bad content on there is from me um and you can also find it at mlb.com slash twins slash news that's me awesome well thank you Doug. i really appreciate you uh taking the time and be sure to to follow his coverage all season long all right thanks Doug. thanks jake